Jazz fans, we've been waiting four and a half months, but it's finally here. Let's go! For the first time since March 11th, it's game day for the Utah Jazz as they prepare to face Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns in their first Orlando bubble exhibition. Today on Home Court Press, McCade and I look at playoff seeding scenarios and we'll make our NBA regular season award predictions. But first, let's sweep through the league and talk NBA news in and out of the bubble. Stay tuned. Home Court Press is next. Welcome into Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined once again by our fearless fire starter, McCade Pearson. McCade, what's up, man? Uh, not much. We got basketball. Dude, I, I watched the game yesterday. The Jazz played tonight. Like, life's good. I'm positively giddy. I'm like a kid in a candy store because not only do we have Jazz basketball coming back tonight, but as a side note for me, I love baseball, and it is what I like to call Baseball Day! Yeah. We got two games going on tonight, Yankees and Nationals, Giants and Dodgers. I'm going to be watching all kinds of sports. It's just a good thing I have two TVs in my living room. <laughs> yep, the NHL starts in about 10 days, like NFL's right around the corner. Things are starting to look a little up, Oh, it just good. It just puts a smile on my face to see this going on. But let's uh, let's jump right into this since it's an NBA podcast. We don't need to talk about baseball all morning. Let's look at the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves to start with. We're, we're going to do a little bit of NBA news. We'll talk about some inside the bubble, some outside the bubble stuff. But we'll start with the Timberwolves. In April, Kevin Garnett was asked by Sports Illustrated uh, just what his thoughts were on having his jersey retired in Minnesota. KG, who's never been one to mince words, had some really strong comments concerning the Timberwolves owner. KG said, I'll always have a special place in in my heart for the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota, but I don't do business with snakes. I try not to do business with openly snakes or people who are snake-like. I think it's fair to say that KG doesn't like Glenn Taylor, but it was announced earlier this week that Glenn Taylor's looking to sell the Timberwolves, and guess who's interested in buying Kevin Garnett? What do you think about that, McCade? Um, well, there's one type of business Kevin Garnett will do with him, but I am interested to see how it plays out because Kevin Garnett always doesn't have quite the money to do it on his own. He needs to get a good group together, and as we've seen with Michael Jordan and the Hornets, and as we've seen throughout NBA history, players don't always make big coaches or owners or, you know, vice versa all the way around. It's all very different stuff, but it's not like Glenn Taylor's done great either. So KG can't do worse than that. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Glenn Taylor, he's owned the Timberwolves since 1995, and they've won 43% of their games in that time. In 25 years, they've won 43% of the games. I believe they've advanced in the playoffs once. So, and over that 25 years, that, they're the third worst franchise in the league behind only the Nets and Grizzlies. So, yeah, I, like you said, it's hard to do worse than what Glenn Taylor has done. And just oh, sports ownership, for some reason, a, a bad owner can have such a negative impact. And it's in a lot of ways that you wouldn't expect. But I think this will be good for Timberwolves fans in the city of Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota, especially if Kevin Garnett can get in there and buy this team. Yeah, and Glenn Taylor is really pushing that they don't move the team from Minneapolis. So I'd be pretty shocked if that happened. Yeah, which is great. You hate to see franchises move. Seattle's still still reeling from the Thunder moving. Well, let's uh, let's move right into the bubble. Uh, let's talk about some of the injuries, some of the health questions that have come up so far. Day one of camp, Rajon Rondo, the Lakers point guard. Broke his thumb. He had surgery. He's out until at least September. Now, on paper, losing Rajon Rondo isn't really a big deal. Frankly, he hasn't been a, a good player or a consistent player on either end of the floor for several years now. But the question mark with the Lakers starts to become with Avery Bradley not playing. Yeah. Now you've got Rajon Rondo out. Depth does start to become an issue. Yeah, that Avery Bradley thing is really what makes this injury not so fun. Um but if you're an Alex Caruso fan, you got some more minutes coming your way. Yeah, you got uh, Alex Caruso, Kendavious Caldwell-Pope, having LeBron, obviously. He runs a lot of the time at, at point guard for them. And and Rajon is expected back sometime in September. You just got to wonder about his conditioning and things like that. Fully expect the Lakers to advance into the playoffs far enough for Rajon to come back. 
So we'll just see how that plays out for the Lakers. Might be something that ends up being a big deal, but right now I, I don't think it's very concerning. Now we'll look at the Memphis Grizzlies. Justice Winslow announced on Twitter the other day that suffered a hip injury in practice. He'll, he's going to miss the remainder of the season. Honestly, they acquired Winslow at midseason. He hasn't played very much for him. hasn't been a real contributor to their success. I think this is a minimal impact on the Grizzlies. Yeah, they were hoping to actually see him. He didn't play at all after the trade, and then it didn't happen. Um, Marvin Bagley off of the season with a foot sprain. Uh, he's starting to get a couple injuries piled up, and you hate to see him. Not that DeAndre James Akeem or Luka Doncic is Michael Jordan, but he is slowly falling into that Sam Bowie role if he doesn't get healthy. Um, you see the potential, but that's another injury that keeps him out of competitive, uh, end of a competitive season for the Kings. Yeah, uh, the Kings have, have been a mess. They've had several players come down with COVID. Bagley, like you said, he's just those injuries are starting to pile up early in his two-year career. He's had some knee problems, several foot issues. Uh, so really my question here is not so much about the Kings, but is is Marvin Bagley destined to, to end up being a bust? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. I don't know how to answer that because He's going to be a solid player. The Kings still haven't decided if he's going to play four or five, which is annoying. And it doesn't matter if he makes three all-star teams, four all-star teams in his career, he's still not going to be Luka. And the obvious pick was Luka, and they messed it up. Um, so, yeah, depending on your definition of plus, like he's just not going to be Luka, and the Kings really screwed that up. That's the sound, but especially the Kings. Yeah, I, I think that's really what it comes down to. They had a chance at this all-world talent in Luka Doncic. They chose Marvin Bagley, and no matter what Bagley ends up doing in his career, it's it's not going to be as good as Luka Doncic. So there's always going to be those question marks when you look back on it. Yep. So now we look um, at the the Boston. Yeah, Boston oh, sorry. Last night with a sore ankle, he should be fine. But another small injury. And really, for the Kings, it's about development because they do have a young team. You've got a, a kid like De'Aaron Fox, and you want him to get as much experience as possible. Now we'll move to the Boston Celtics. Kemba Walker, he, he was dealing with knee soreness and inflammation as far back as the All-Star game, and yeah, he's taken four and a half months off, and the first practice he's dealing with that again. Is that a concern? Yeah, I mean, they've had a full off season by now, which is weird to think about because time's just been so more. But it's been a full four and a half months. Um, and if his knee's still right, it's never going to be right. So something to keep an eye on, not only in the short term, but the long term. As Kemba ages, he's up over 30 now. Definitely. And in that, he's in the first year of that four-year deal with the Celtics. I mean, you look back on it, it might be a contract that the Celtics regret if Kemba Walker's knee doesn't improve. Uh, now we look at the number one team in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks, missing two guards, uh, one starter, Eric Bledsoe, and then Pat Connaughton coming off of the bench. Both have been diagnosed with the coronavirus, and there's no return date announced yet. Those guys are going to have to have two negative tests before they can even return to the bubble and start practicing. They'll probably get there. We'll see. But that's always no fun. Um I think we were going to talk about the testing a little bit later, but the rosters also came out. And so it appears that the NBA has about 10 players currently outside the bubble that are supposed to be in it. So we'll see exactly if those guys ever show up, how they show up, when they show up, all that fun stuff. But they're getting there. Now the Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets were kind of a, the talk of the town on Twitter last night as they had their the first scrimmage for any teams, the Nuggets were playing the the Wizards, and the Nuggets' starting lineup was basically four centers and a point guard. You watched a little bit of that game. What was it like? So it was pretty much five centers, if we're being completely honest. It was it was weird, um, and it was the most Nikola Jokic game I'd ever seen. He had 16 points on five shots, seven boards, seven assists, and eight turnovers. Like he just didn't seem to care. He just kind of do whatever he wanted, and half the time it worked, half the time it didn't. Um, Daryl Morey on Twitter was pretty funny about it because, you know, they've gone ultra small ball in Houston, and now all of a sudden Denver's like, we're going to throw out five seven-footers. And it, it was interesting. Um, I doubt they ever go to it 
but it was unique to watch. Some of the basketball today was pretty ugly. And Point Jokic was an experiment, but whatever. It's scrimmage games. <laughs> Point Jokic was destined for this role, and I love watching in a minute. But the reason why the Nuggets used that starting lineup was they have a huge injured list right now. They've got Will Barton, Jamal Murray, who was listed. McCade, you were telling me this. Jamal Murray was listed as out yesterday, missing the scrimmage because of fatigue from golfing. That's what they said. I don't know how true that is, but that is what was circling the internet yesterday. Oh man, it's it's tough walking eighteen holes. Maybe he did thirty six. I maybe hard to say. Nuggets also missing Tory Craig, Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Pat is it Pat Dozier? I can't. I don't even know his name. Yeah, they're missing. They're rough over there. I think they'll be fine. But yesterday was fun. Yeah, I, I expect a lot of these guys to come back. There, there's some injuries here. There, the Nuggets are one of the teams that have been hard hit by the coronavirus. So early in this this uh, restart, I, I wonder how much depth the Nuggets are going to have. But as time goes on, I think the Nuggets will be fine and probably maintain that three seed going into the playoffs. And Bobo wasn't injured. He actually played. Yeah, Bobo played. He looked good, but let's pump the brakes a little bit. The Wizards were the worst defense I saw all season. Yeah, and Bobo, like, it took him 16 shots to get his 16 points. Um, his defense was like, Hassan Whiteside, I'm going to block five shots a game and not be that great. It was weird. Pump the brakes, but it was fun to watch. So now we'll look at the Clippers. They are missing two key contributors, Montrez Harrell and Pat Beverly. Both have left the bubble for personal emergencies. They are expected back later. They're also missing center Evicha Zubats. So the the Clippers are a team who right now I wouldn't be throwing up the alarm bells, but if Harrell and Beverly are gone for any significant period of time, if Zubats can't get back and play, the, the Clippers' depth really starts to shrink. Yeah, um, Zion is also out for a family emergency. Yep. Um, and the protocol to come back into the bubble is really weird. So if it's pre-approved, no matter what, you have to get tested every day your way, which I know Zion has been doing. I'm assuming the Clippers guys are doing as well. Yeah. But you have to get tested every day and obviously test negative. But if it's a pre-approved reason to leave, funeral, wedding, childbirth, etc. You only have to quarantine for four days when you get back. If it's not approved, um, then it's 10 days. So that's a big difference is we're seven, eight days. What are we? Seven days from the Jazz opener against Zion. So theoretically, if they're going to withhold these rules and actually enforce them, Zion needs to be back in the next 72 hours. But we'll see what happens. Obviously, basketball is awesome, and we love it. It's fun. But if you have to leave the bubble for an emergency, you want to take care of that. There's a reason you're leaving for an emergency. It's, it's important that these guys are able to get out and take care of their families because that's that's just a higher priority or it should be a higher priority than their teams. And I think a lot of these franchises realize that and, and give their, their players a you know, full rope to, to do that. We've got a couple guys that they have their wives expecting to give birth in the next few weeks. Dennis Schroeder with the Thunder. You've got... Mike Connolly with the Jazz, and, and both of those teams have said they not only expect those players to leave when their their baby is born, but they encourage it. And I, no I like luck, seeing no, that. No luck for Gordon Hayward. I didn't even realize Gordon was having a baby. Oh, uh, yeah. He's got, I think he's his first boy, actually, here in about. I think that's mid-September. So they'd have to get into the playoffs a good amount before. Okay. But anyway, there are a few. Um and, yep, they need to take care of that. And the Jazz have planned well for Mike Conley there. It's 100% already pre-approved. We'll see and all that fun stuff. Yep. But I would like to mention, we haven't mentioned a Jazz player outside of Boyan, I guess, on the injury report, which is really great. We're starting relatively fresh. And that's – love to hear that. Yeah, it's wonderful. I know George Niang – sat out a couple portions of practice due to a sore ankle, but yeah, there hasn't been any injury news out of the Jazz camp, which is awesome to see because, frankly, if they lose another one of their starters or a key guy coming off of the bench, they have no depth left. Right now, they're at about eight playable guys if you want to win a playoff series. So the Jazz, 
have to stay healthy. So we're last, healthy, we're ready to go. Yeah, last thing here in terms of injuries or health, and we'll talk about this more later. But Ricky Rubio announced yesterday that he hadn't gotten into the bubble until recently because he had contracted the coronavirus. So he's practiced with the team, I believe, for two days. And really, we'll get into that more in the last segment as we talk about this Jazz Suns game tonight. But on a good news front, since July 13th, the the NBA has been testing 346 players in the bubble, zero positive tests. So to me, that means we've got the bubble established, everybody's in, and it's working. And I love it. As I said, 356 players on roster, so there's 10 players missing. Um, sounds like a couple of them are the Morris twins and some other ones, so hopefully they'll trickle in. Um, they didn't mention staff, which is another 700 people, mm-hmm. but I would assume if it was anything significant, we would have heard about it. So I'm going to take no knowledge as good knowledge there. And the bubble's working. It's going pretty well. Yeah, I think... To me, with, with seeing this, no positive tests so far, I think that the bubble is working and it will continue to work at least through the first round of the playoffs. The next big concern is in the second round, teams still alive are going to be allowed to bring families into the bubble, and that's when the, the next big change is going to be. But based on what the NBA has done so far to kind of alleviate concerns and keep everybody safe and healthy, I don't anticipate any problems there as long as the people coming in are honest. Yep, and they are quarantining for a full 10 days in a hotel room with the children. So we'll see how that goes. But, again, at that point, you've already lost 14 teams. So as the bubble gets smaller, it's easier to contain. Yeah. So that's good. But hopefully we do get season bass family members in Orlando in six weeks. All right, McCade. Um, now we've got the the boring stuff out of the way. Let's talk about the 2019-20 regular season awards. The NBA yeah. said that those awards are going to be based on games played through March 11th. So, where do you want to start with these? Um, first, go annoy Andy Larson on Twitter. He has the Salt Lake City vote, so go annoy him to vote for Rudy Gobert for everything. Um, let's start <laughs> with you want to start with Rookie of the Year. Yeah, rookie of the we'll year sounds work great. Our way up the, let's work our way up the experience ladder. I like your style. Let me pull let's up my rookie, rookie of the year numbers. So, who who do you have in the running? Um, I don't know. I couldn't fill my three spots, but I took John Morant and Clark, both Memphis guys, are my top two for sure. But I, I think John Morant runs away with it, and then it's kind of, it's really murky after that, to be honest. Yeah, there weren't a lot of great rookies this year. You mentioned Brandon Clark. I've got Zion Williamson in the mix. I, honestly, as I look at the numbers, Zion Williamson was far and away the best rookie in terms of just pure numbers, but he only played 19 games. So yeah, here, Here's I, my I, thing with Zion. If you want to put him first, put him first. But I And I know you probably did, so hopefully this doesn't offend you, but I hate when people put him or Joel Embiid a couple of years ago second. Because either they played enough games to be on your ballot or they didn't. Like, I don't like the whole, well, they didn't play enough games to win, but I'm still going to put them second crowd. Um, so I left them off mine. I did put them on my all rookie second team, which I don't think we're going to get to today. Obviously, that takes forever to go through all the all teams. But I do think he played enough to be one of the top ten rookies, but I couldn't put him on my top three. So did you have him first or second? I, I had him third. You're going to run over here making accusations. No, I think Ja Morant's the clear winner. 59 games, averaged 17.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, almost 7 assists. And really the key there is he took a Grizzlies team that wasn't expected to sniff the playoffs and has led them to the 8 seed so far. I'll say this. This is probably the race that is most affected by not letting eight games count. Because if the Pelicans would have caught and knocked out the Grizzlies in the playing round, like you could have basically just played a game determined rookie of the year. And Zion would have had another eight games under his belt, yada, yada, yada. I think this is the race that is single-handedly the most affected by cutting in yeah. right now, not later. Yep, 100%. But I'll tell you, the only reason I had Zion at three, I, I really liked your point about either you played enough games to be on the ballot or you didn't play enough. 
He only played 19, but I, I'm looking at all of the other rookies in this class. <laughs> it was rough. Who deserves to be there? I mean, I think Zion's top 10 in points, top 10 in rebounds. Like, he ended up top 10 in a lot of the categories in those 19 games. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so for Rookie of the Year, we agree on Ja Morant. What do you, I'm sure you move to, let's do six man of the year. Six man? You got it. It's S- coming off the bench. This one's a lot of talk around. This is probably the most open. Um, a lot of people are leaning towards Dennis Schroeder. I couldn't get on that bandwagon. I went with Montrez Harrell. Um, Lou Williams is obviously in the conversation. Under the radar in the conversation, that I don't think he'll get a lot of votes, but I did have second, was Dwight Howard. has been awesome for the Lakers this year off the bench. But I went with Montrez Harrell. So you went with Montrez Harrell. Okay. I included in my... In my research, I was looking at Montrez Harrell, I had Lou Williams, I had Dennis Schroeder, and because we're a jazz podcast, I threw Jordan Clarkson in there for fun, just to look at the numbers. <laughs> and, and really, when it all shook out, I, I like to look at team success, I look at players' roles on those teams. Lou Williams is a perennial six-man-of-the-year candidate, but the guy doesn't, he plays one end of the floor. Yeah, he's been rough defensively this year. He was all right last year, Mm -hmm. but he's been really rough this year. Yeah, he's a huge liability, and I don't think a guy that can be played off of the floor should be an award winner at the end of the year. So I threw out Lou Williams. Montrez Harrell, I love what Montrez Harrell does. As an undersized center with the Clippers, his energy, his tenacity, he's, he's fantastic. But... I had a Montrez at second on my six-man-of-the-year ballot. Jordan Clarkson, like I said, I included him because of, of being a jazz man and the, the boost that he gave to the bench unit and the offense as a whole when the jazz acquired him from Cleveland can't be understated, but he's, he's not the six-man-of-the-year. He's just not. I gave the award to Schroeder. I think what Schroeder has done in, for the Thunder coming off of the bench, that three-point guard lineup that they use with Chris Ball, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder, uh, they're the, that's the best lineup in the NBA this year, outscoring opponents by almost 30 points a game. Um, it is, and that's what a lot of people go to. I just looked at it, and I couldn't get on board because he hasn't done much outside that lineup, and the Thunder really struggled outside that lineup. So you pay for that lineup. But, I don't know, I just couldn't quite get on board and I really dove into it. Um, but I do think he, he's the favorite right now in Vegas. He's, I think, about 50, 60% chance to win. And Montrez is at, like, 20 to 30%. And mm-hmm. the two runaways in Vegas. So I do think Dennis ends up winning. I couldn't get on that board, personally. I think you're, you're kind of picking nits when we're talking Montrez Harrell versus... Dennis Schroeder, and either way, I don't think you're going to go wrong. Where no, do you want to go next here? Let's see, the next most experience. Let's go with most improved. Most improved. I like that one. To me, there were two clear candidates for most improved. I had I had Bam Adebayo and Brandon, Brandon Ingram, and really, I just didn't consider anyone else. Yeah, I had those guys first and third. Um, Luka Doncic, this is another one that's really weird to define because – some voters are hesitant to just give it to a set first, second, third year player who was a top three pick and then finally breaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Darren, Darren Fox last year, for example. If you want to put Brandon Ingram this year, even though it's his fourth year, like th- those guys are supposed to get better. Um, another weird name I've been carrying a little bit is uh, Siakam, which is funny because he won the award last year, but he's improved again. Yeah. I didn't buy that at all. Uh, his efficiency's dropped a lot this year as he's taking a bigger role, which is expected. But um, back to that other point, though, Luka has gotten a little buzz. Again, I think he was just too good last year as a rookie to, like, oh, it was this crazy, crazy jump. So I went with Brandon Ingram at one, though. His free throw shooting and three-point shooting, not only in percentages, but in terms of both skyrocketed. He's been awesome this year. I agree with you. I, I had Brandon Ingram winning this award because when he was with the Lakers the last three years, Ingram was a guy who you would watch him play, and it was it was just tantalizing the amount of talent he had, but he never seemed to put it together. And since the trade to New Orleans, he's really blossomed as, as the first scoring option. His length 
is nearly impossible to defend. Watching him play against the Jazz three times this year, and it didn't matter who the Jazz put on him. Brandon Ingram was going to get his shot. I watched that 49 game the other day where the Jazz lost in overtime. Yeah. And he's just he's nuts. Um, that was just a great game. Ingram had 49, Donovan had 46. I was listening to a national podcast the other day, and they were talking about Brandon Ingram. We were mentioning that his team isn't 26 points for assists and bad defense. That if he could settle into 21 points and six assists and good defense, it would help his team win more. Um, Pelicans still haven't been great this year. And I thought that was interesting. Actually, I know things that kind of applies to Donovan. But Brandon Ingram, a serious show this year, and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes the next couple of years. If he tries to be this 26-point game scorer, if he settles into a really, 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 really good role player of, you know, whatever. Because uh, the whole Zion addition, for lack of a better term, in New Orleans really makes things interesting. Um in terms of agent summer, I'm assuming he's just going to get the max from New Orleans. He's restricted, so I would assume that's what happens, but we'll see. But should be fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to to see how that works out and just how, how his career develops. You had Bam. Yeah, I had I had Bam second. I hey, I had him third, and I had a flyer at second that I don't think is getting any buzz for this award, but really should. And that's Duncan Robinson, also in Miami. He was a ah. good player last year, and now he's like probably if they would have got a full eighty-two games in, he probably would have had the third highest, not highest, because Steph Curry has like all the highest, but his three would have been right up there with Harden and Curry. Like it's just nuts what he's doing, absolutely insane. So from a two-way player. He actually played, I think it was community college ball, maybe condition three, and just he's come a long way, and he deserves a little more recognition. He's a better award, but most improved historically is usually for first-time all-stars. Is usually who it goes to. So yeah, that, he was probably going to fall that. That's a really good point. Duncan Robinson is a guy I hadn't thought of. Uh, yeah, you're correct. He played division three ball for a couple of years before transferring to the University of Michigan. He was a, a G League guy for what two two seasons, uh, ended up being a two way player. Two way for one. And yeah, now he, he's come in and just been a revelation for the Miami Heat, and, and it's kind of a reflection, I think, of the the Heat's player development. So both he and Bam Adebayo and their their growth over the last couple of years have been a lot of fun to watch. But should we go to? I, w- I want to save MVP and Defensive Player of the Year because MVP okay. is the biggest award and Defensive Player of the Year. We're talking Rudy. So yeah, so let's go coach. Let's go coach of the year. Who did you have as candidates here? I had four. So I had Eric Spolstra, Rick Carlisle, uh, Taylor Jenkins, and Nick Nurse. And I had them ranked one, two pretty quickly and easily. And that was my reverse order, actually. So I had Nick Nurse winning it. Um, Toronto lost Kawhi Leonard and is like 45 and 15 this year. Which is just crazy. It's just nuts. Between winning a title and then losing Kawhi, and then all of a sudden they're second in the East right now with just no bad players. It's crazy that they just—it's weird. And they've done some weird stuff defensively, some triangles and twos, a lot of box and ones, some two possessions of zone. Like they just done some weird stuff defensively, and it's worked amazingly. Um, I have Nick Nurse. I have it as a pretty big runaway. I completely agree with you, and it's it's hard to look at it on the surface and, and see why Nick Nurse would be the coach of the year, especially after winning the title last season. But you mentioned it. They lose arguably a top three player in the league in Kawhi Leonard. They also lose their, their other starting wing in Danny Green to free agency. And yeah. this season, the Raptors, I would argue that they're better and deeper than they were last year. Their top seven is rock solid on both sides of the ball. The Raptors' player development is incredible. The the guys that they've brought in and been able to develop into true NBA players. And, and really, if I'm going to separate it, that's when it comes to Nick Nurse for me, is the, his player development and something else that you mentioned, just his ability and willingness to think outside of the box and try things that nobody else would do. He ran a box in one in the NBA Finals. Have you ever seen a box and one in an NBA game prior to that? He's creative in both. And it, yeah, he just, he's not scared to do weird stuff, especially stuff you see at lower levels of basketball. He's like, well, we'll bring that up to the NBA. We'll make it work. And then of course he just has the personnel to be able to do that. 
Yep. They probably have the smartest team in the league between Kyle Lowry and Marcus All, Serge Ibaka, and all those guys. Like they just have a crazy, crazy smart team, and so it just all works incredibly well. If yeah. they won the title, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be like shocked. I'd be like, oh, Nick Nurse is just a genius, but they figured it out because they just have no weak spots on either end of the ball. Just it's crazy what they've done this year. Let's. I want to talk about one more coach that you mentioned. I also had on my list. I had him second. Taylor Jenkins, first-year head coach with the Grizzlies. And what the Grizzlies have done, I mentioned earlier as we were talking about Ja Morant, but this team wasn't expected to be in the playoff hunt at all. They they were just hoping not to lose their pick to the Celtics this season. And now they're in the bubble. They have the eight seed. They, they've got the inside track to actually make the playoffs with a bunch of rookies and second-year guys. They're in a dangerous spot, though. He's done great this year, but... I think all 15 Western Conference teams think they're going to make the playoffs next year. Mm, yes. Like you look at all 15 rosters and where they're at, and you're like all 15 teams probably think they're going to make it. And there's a chance they just go a step back next year and miss the playoffs pretty bad. I mean, they're one injury away. So we'll have to see how next year goes, but this year they've been awesome. And I'm assuming they hold on to the eight seed at this point. We'll talk about that a little bit, but even if they lose it, Great job there to get John Moran up and running and just all their young pieces to mesh. Okay, so defensive player of the year. Does Rudy Gobert win it, or is he unseated by Giannis, maybe Anthony Davis? Not Anthony Davis. Agreed. Um, <laughs> no, narratives play a role into awards, and not even with the COVID stuff, but just the Jazz are only ranked 10th defensively instead of top two. Um it's just been a weird year. For what we don't need to get into the details of it, but Ricky Rubio to Mike Conley, Donovan taking a step back, their favors to Boyan. The Jazz really took a step back defensively as a team, and that's hurting Gobert's case. His on-off numbers this year are just insane, mostly because favors is in the backup center, so the defense is pretty bad, and he's off the court. And so you look at some of the numbers, and Gobert is having just as good of a season as he has last couple years, maybe even better. I think there's a strong argument. He's been better defensively this year than he was last year, um, which might be kind of a hot take, but narrative does play a role. And so I think, I, I mean, I'm almost hundred percent sure Giannis is going to win it. I am curious to see if Gobert does take second though. And even if he does take second, he'll become only the second player in NBA history to finish top two, four straight years. I don't think we realize how truly great Rudy Gobert is defensively on an all-time level. Like, he's a top five defensive player of all time. It's crazy what he's doing. And if he can even keep it up for another year, two years, three years, he, people will really start to recognize that. I 100% agree with you. I mean, I, I think this season, Rudy, you, you argue that he may be just as good or better defensively than he has been in the past. My only slight quibble with that is I feel like he's had moments where, whether it be frustration with a, a lack of touches on the offensive end or the way he's being defended by teams this year, at, at moments I feel like he's let his lack of an offensive game get in his head and bring down his defensive game. But for the most part, yeah, Rudy is Rudy, and I don't think the Jazz perimeter players have any clue how lucky they are to have that guy backing him up, have him at the basket 40 minutes a game. I, I think that's probably where the frustrations come from. People talk about the offensive touches, but if it was me personally, I would just be sick of covering everyone else's crap every possession. And the Jazz, as I said, they took a pretty big step back perimeter defensively this year. Um, Jordan Clarkson's not great either. Like they just they lost some guys who really helped up front. And so covering people possession after possession after possession. A, it can make some of your numbers look worse because it's harder to cover for somebody else than it is just to handle your own guy. And B, it's got to be just not only mentally exhausting, but potentially frustrating with the front office that they did that. Although I've heard that the front office came to Rudy in the summer and was like, hey, do you care if we take a step back on defense and put more pressure on you? And Rudy said, okay. So whatever actually happened there, Gobert is still a great, great, great defender and deserves that recognition. Although I don't think he gets it a third time in a row. 
Yeah, uh, and I think you and I agree. Giannis is going to end up with this Defensive Player of the Year honor, and uh, frankly, it's it's well deserved. I mean, he, Giannis has been terrific on both ends of the floor. Defensively, he's a game changer. And I, <laughs> the last thing I have here is as I was looking this up, and and I knew this, and I had thought about it previously, but it was just a reminder as I was putting in the player comparison on Basketball Reference that. Giannis and Rudy were drafted the same year, and the Jazz could have had both of them. The Jazz were going to take Rudy at 21, was the plan. And then they traded up to nine, and I was devastated because I was a huge Rudy guy. And then, of course, they actually traded back into the first round to get Rudy when he slid a little bit. But, yeah, it is easy to sit there now and go, dang it, we could have (laughs) had both these guys. Yeah. Um, One more thing with the whole Rudy thing. So I mentioned two players. Rudy would become the second player to finish top two four straight years. The only other player to finish top two five straight years was Ben Wallace from 02 to 06. And so he won in 02 and 03, took second in 04 when they actually won the title. Obviously, it's the regular season award. And then he won it again in 05 and 06. I do think there's a lot of similarities between Ben Wallace's 04 season and Gobert's season this year. Now that the Jazz are going to win the title like the Pistons did. Um, Don't kill my hope. I thought that's where you were going. I mean, yeah, you know, we're just going to follow that. We're going to win the title this year. Woo. No, but um, voter fatigue is a little bit of a thing, and for some voters anyway. And so I do think we do see Rudy bounce back the next couple of years and maybe win another one or two. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I'm not concerned about the next couple of years, but he's just he's he's that good. All right, well, talking about voter fatigue, let's segue to the uh, MVP conversation. I think we've got two guys in here, Giannis and LeBron. I don't know if you have anybody else involved in this. I'm a James Harden lover. Ah, come on. You're killing um, me, McCade. You're... I do have Harden third, though, so we can, we can just focus on the top two if you want. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so who do you have winning this award? I have Giannis pretty comfortably. Um People do not realize how crazy it has been, like how crazy good he's been because he's only playing 30 minutes a game. Yeah. They're just beating teams by 20 every night, so he sits down in the fourth quarter. Steph Curry holds the record for fewest minutes per game by an MVP. He was like 33 a couple years ago. Giannis is at 30 right now, and if you change those numbers to per 36 and compare him against other MVPs, he's the highest scorer per 36 minutes of an MVP in the last 50 years. Um, I cut it off the 50 years because I don't want to deal with the 60s and their crazy pace and stuff. <laughs> um, he's the highest rebounder of the last 50 years among MVPs. This is him. He went, and he's like ninth in assists behind some of the Steve Nash's and Magic Johnson's. Like, it's just crazy what he's doing this year. On top of that, he's the defensive player of the year. Yeah. Like, I'll say this for my fire starter. I'll stop there. Okay, good. Good tease. I like that. Looking forward to it. No, I totally agree. I I look at Giannis and compare his season per 36 minutes, and and really the only player that gets even close is prime Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Giannis has been incredible. Or even shoot a three. Not that I love Giannis taking threes. I think it's dumb. He shouldn't take threes. But he does, and he makes them at least at a not 100% terrible, horrific rate. Yeah, Giannis does take five and a half threes a game per 36. If he cut that back to four per game, I'd be on board. I'd like to see him stretch the floor. And I, he's just, he's only going to get better because this is a kid who constantly works hard. I, it came out yesterday, I think it was, and I thought it was kind of funny. So early in the league shutdown, Giannis was saying that he he hasn't touched a basketball. He doesn't have a hoop or anything like that. And then it came out yesterday. He said, ah, oh, yeah, that was that was a lie. I was just trying to get a heads up on the competition. <laughs> I, I just I love that little little bit of gamesmanship. I'm competing without anything to compete over. And that's just fun. Yeah. It tells me a lot about the guy. He's, he's a good guy. And, um, and we could talk about LeBron. Everybody knows what LeBron is. LeBron's amazing. LeBron's he's, LeBron. Um, I still think he's the best player on the planet. He's going to pass Michael Jordan this year in – career MVP votes weighted. Um, basketball reference calls them award shares. And him and Michael Jordan are up over eight. The next highest is at six. And so he's going to pass Michael Jordan this year after he didn't last year. And so, I mean, 
having eight and a half career award shares for an MVP is it's ridiculous and great for LeBron. I don't buy into the hype of his age mattering for an MVP vote or what color he has on his beard or anything like that. I'm just looking at this year, and if you're good this year, great. If you weren't, sorry. And he was great this year, but I don't play into the narrative that, oh, look how old he is. It's his 17th year, blah, blah, blah. Okay, one thing here, and then I got a question for you. Yeah. Gray in a beard is not only wonderful, but it's sexy, so I'm told by my wife. Okay. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't think it's a reason to vote for MVP. Okay, I'll agree with that. The The second thing, my question for you is, is LeBron James done winning MVPs in his career, or does he still have a couple seasons left where he's in the running? I don't know, because he was weird. He won four and five years, and now he's just been second, third, second, second, third, third, you know, fifth, whatever, for the last, what, is it eight years now? Yeah, since Miami, and right? He's, uh, yeah, since, uh, yeah. Their, his third year in Miami when they won the title against the Spurs. Yeah. Um, it's hard to get an MVP narrative when the narrative is how you're chasing the GOAT. And so he set his bar so high, it's hard for him to do anything that amazes us to the point where he gets MVP votes. Um, I do think if there was a year he was going to win again, it'd be this year. But he just happened to go next to Giannis, who's having a all-time season. Yep. And so I think he's out of luck. Um, I guess he could win it next year if it kind of plays out the same and Giannis gets injured for 20 games or something like that. Which, side note, Giannis did get injured right before the season stopped. And if he would have missed 15 games and the Lakers would have kept winning and caught up to him in the standings or something like that, there could have been a slight swing towards LeBron. Um but obviously Giannis is 100% healthy now and yada, yada, yada. But I, I don't see LeBron winning another MVP. I do think it's possible, but it's, I just wouldn't bet on it. I figure at some point he's got to slow down. And as much of a, a machine and a robot LeBron James is, I kind of expected it to happen this year, and I'm surprised it hasn't. I don't see him competing for MVPs in the future either. I still think he's a top five player in the league, but he, he's going to have to start picking his spots. He's going to have to take breaks. He's going to have to rest on defense. He's he's going to have to take possessions off. And I just don't see him winning another MVP if he's going to be doing those things to conserve his energy. Uh, yep, completely agree. He's been all right defensively this year. He's just chosen his spots. He's really elevated the team defensively. But individually, he's not guarding the best player on the opposing team that much, yada, all that stuff. Um, and I think he will in the playoffs, which is good. But, yeah, he's he's on uh, cruise control, which is fine yeah. for LeBron at this point. The so last one more award thing. Oh, yeah. Um, the MVP, the defensive player of the year, and the All-NBAs do determine some financial implications for some guys. This year, there's nobody – really up for any supermax anything like that like pillies have already they're qualified or they haven't the only guy that has a slight financial lean on all nba this year is rudy gobert okay so to be supermax eligible you either have to be all nba or depoy two and three years before or just the year prior does that make sense yeah so Rudy Gobert is Supermax eligible extent for an extension this summer because he made All-NBA and slash or he ended up being and deploy in 2018 and 2019. Therefore, if he misses it this summer, he can still get the extension this summer because he had it two years prior. However, if the Jazz decide just to let Rudy Gobert play out the next season, he is not yet Supermax eligible for the summer of 2021. So to do that, he would have to either be All-NBA in 2019, which he has, and 2020, or 2021. So long story short, if Rudy Gobert doesn't make All-NBA right now, there will be more pressure to get the Supermax deal done this summer because it won't necessarily be there next summer because he hasn't qualified for it yet because that 2018 All-NBA disappears, right? Does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. So something to keep an eye on there, Rudy Gobert does need to make All-NBA 
to lighten the pressure on if the Jazz decide to offer. Not even a Supermax, anything over 30%. And we can get into that. There's been lots of talk about if the Jazz will do that. But for eligibility purposes, he needs to make All-NBA this year. And Embiid's missed some games, which helps his case. And then the whole voters are going to vote Anthony Davis as a forward or a center. Also is interesting. Basically, all you need is it not to go Davis, Jokic, Embiid. If you can avoid that, then he should get on. And, and I think the uh, financial implications as it pertains to the Jazz and their salary cap situation are, are mammoth in yeah. regards to Rudy Gobert, whether he's eligible for the Supermax, something less than the Supermax, or you know whatever the Jazz choose to offer Rudy Gobert. One, just the salary cap implications, and two, Rudy Gobert's a prideful man, and you've got to be very careful what you offer him because if you insult him, he yeah. might just tell you to screw off. Yeah. And so, as I said, he is already eligible this summer, as we've all we've talked about and everyone's talked about. But if he, wants to, if he doesn't sign that this summer and he wants the eligibility to continue next summer, he has to make on be this year or next year, but obviously we don't know next year. I'm sure, I personally want Rudy Robert to miss All-NBA because it puts pressure to get the deal done this summer and we don't have to play the waiting game. But I won't complain if Rudy Gobert gets recognition for how great of a player he is. And then for the rest of the NBA, there really is nobody that has any financial implications on this. Shockham's extension could go from 25 to 27% if he makes it, but whatever. Like, that's about it. Those are the awards I got. Giannis has had a great year. Yes, he, he really has. So let's go ahead, McCade. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, you wanted to take a look at some of the seating scenarios. We'll talk about the 8-9 play-in games and just how how some of the, the playoff seating could end up depending on wins and losses in this eight-game restart. So we'll be back in just a moment with more Home Court Press. Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, still joined by McCade Pearson. He's already teased the fire starter coming up, but we're going to talk about the seeding scenarios for the NBA playoffs after the eight-game restart. I'm really interested in the eight, nine potential play-in games. And then, I mean, what else do you have for us, McCade? Um, there's just a lot of fun stuff going on. I don't think we get a play in, in the East. The Wizards have to make up two games um, to do so. So they didn't look good yesterday. Okay, and but. The in the West. Let's talk West. Well, on, um, on the East, really quick. Yeah. So the the Nets and the Wizards, if you take, a, take some time to look at those two rosters, they're, they should combine rosters to become the eighth seed. There's they're G League take. teams. <laughs> they are G League teams. Yeah, so if they combine rosters to be the eighth seed, I think everyone would be happy. <laughs> That'd be a lot more fun to watch. But no, I agree. the The Wizards are too far behind, and with what with the team that they're bringing, even with the struggles, I I expect the Nets to have. The Wizards are going to have to win what at least two or three games more than the Nets to they're gonna have yeah. to beat the Nets twice and then win another game to have a chance at that plan so yeah and I think the Magic will take care of business because even if the Magic get if they go three and five they're they're fine yeah even two and six probably gets the job done if we're being real yep um I'm, I'm sh- although I'm sure teams would rather play the Raptors than the Bucks there at the bottom not that it matters they're both gonna lose but yeah you're gonna get swept yeah. either way so um, Pacers so, Sixers are tied. That'll mm-hmm. be fun to kind of see who's five six there. Um, would you rather play the Raptors, Celtics, and then the Raptors, Celtics, or would you rather play the Heat and then the Bucks? Um, but yeah, so not too much to go in the East. The only there are three picks that can still transfer based on where they land. The only way in the East is the Nets lose their pick if they miss the playoffs. No, sorry. They get their pick back if they miss the playoffs. 
Okay. Um, but I'm sure they want to make the playoffs and lose their pick and move on and don't carry that over to next year. So they'll try and make the playoffs, and that's that. So the Western Conference, we've got the, the Grizzlies in the eight spot right now. I believe they are, is it four and a half games up? Uh, three and a half on the Trailblazers, Pelicans, Kings, four on the Spurs, six on the Suns. Okay, so we've already talked about the Kings where because of injuries and everything, we're throwing them out. The I'm personally not even including the Suns and Spurs past the, the eight-game restart. So Grizzlies three and a half games up on the Blazers and Pelicans. The Blazers... Are the only reason they're not in the playoffs right now is because of injuries. They've just yeah. been a mash unit all season, and it looks like they're going to be healthy. They're going to get Yusuf Nurkic back. They're going to get Zach Collins back. Their front line will be good, and we know at the guard line with Dame and C.J. McCollum, they're, they're wonderful. Then we've also got the Pelicans, who were really coming on strong, and as far as this eight-game restart goes, the Pelicans have – a significantly easier schedule than the Grizzlies, as well as the yep. Blazers do. So what happens there? So first of all, the weird thing is everyone's played a different amount of games, right? So tiebreakers are as important. The Pelicans and Blazers, the Pelicans have played two more games, and they're one and one better in those two games. And so that pulls their win percentage up by one one thousand. Basically, in short, the Blazers have every tiebreaker against any team they tie with because they've just played two extra games, and that 1-1,000 makes them higher, which is interesting and weird. I'm surprised the NBA world with winning percentage and not games back. But I do think it's going to be a real long fight. The Grizzlies are going to be fine. They're going to go 2-6 and six or 3-5 and five and clinch the eight seed, and they're basically just preparing for that play-in series, right? I don't know who comes out between the Trailblazers and Pelicans. And a lot of it depends on Nurkic's health, if Dame goes Dame, is Zion back. But I will say the Pelicans have a really weird schedule. Um, and that's going to have a lot to do with it. So the Pelicans go Jazz Clippers, right? Two tough games right off the bat. And then they go Grizzlies, Kings, Wizards, Spurs. And if they just win those four middle games, they're right there in the thick of things. And they play the Magic the last game. Um, they play the Kings again. So, like, after that Jazz and Clippers game, they have six games against teams under 500. Where if they, for lack of a better term, take care of business, they'll should straight right up to the ninth seed and we'll get to see John Morant and Zion. But the Trailblazers have Damian Lillard. And that's the best player from 8 to 13. So yep, that's going to be really fun to watch. Because I said, they're tied, but not really because the Blazers are technically one one-thousandth of a point better. This should be interesting. should be really fun, and that's probably what I'm going to follow the most to see who gets there. I do think the Grizzlies will be favored to still hold on to the 18 because it's hard to beat a team twice in 30 hours, but it's definitely doable. As for the top of the West, the Lakers only need to win two games to clinch the one seed. Basically, if they beat the Clippers on opening night, they clinch the one seed. Okay. And then you have this giant gap. We talked a couple podcasts ago. Rockets, Mavericks right off the bat. Rockets win that game. Mavericks are done. They're basically locked into seven. Because at that point, they're another game behind the Rockets, and they have another loss in general. So that's interesting. And then we talked about the Jazz Thunder, how their tiebreakers up for grabs that first Saturday. The Jazz really need to win that game. The one thing that caught me out when I was looking through this from a Jazz perspective, the Nuggets are not as far ahead as we think. There's a legit chance we could catch them if we can win some games, obviously. They play them the second Saturday. You win that game, you're basically tied with the bench how to go from there. Do you have any questions specifically? For me, it's it's kind of what do the Jazz need to do to maintain a top four spot and avoid the Lakers in the second round? Obviously, there's a lot up in the air because yeah. it depends on other teams as well. But how how could the Jazz best position themselves? I've got them going honestly, three and five or four and four. Is that going to be good enough? Honestly, with the Jazz, and it was interesting because I personally feel that they didn't take the preseason seriously enough back in October. We didn't even see, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe we didn't even see Colleen Mitchell and Gobert on the court together to like the fifth game of the preseason. Like, they just really 
tough to walk through the preseason last year. So I'm really hoping they take these three games seriously and then take those eight games seriously because for me, it's not about where you end up or who you play. You just need to be on a roll in 11 games. And so you can even kind of throw the scores out. But you can let everything fall where it falls, and it's fine. But just really try and win the next 11 games. Don't take the next 11 games as, oh, yeah, we're warming up. Oh, yeah, we're preparing for the playoffs. Oh, yeah, we're doing this. Like, no, let's play basketball and let's start winning games now. So we're in the flow when that happens. Okay, so, it would, I mean, from what you're saying, like with the Lakers, they only have to win one or two games to clinch their one seed. So we've got some teams that are going to be in this eight-game restart that really they, they just have a quota. If they can get to that quota, they're going to be fine, and their seeding won't change very much. The East is, is a lot like that. There's very little that can change in the East. But then you've got teams like the Jazz, the, the middle of the pack in the West, is yeah. incredibly fluid. But from the Nuggets to the Jazz to the Rockets to the Thunder to the Mavericks, yeah, that that could move and have huge permutations. The Jazz could fall as low as seven, or be as high as can the mathematically can they get to two? They're actually so I went through and did all this. Um, the term that people use is magic number and elimination number. Yeah. So magic number is your wins plus their losses, right? Mm-hmm. And elimination number is your losses plus their wins. With the Clippers, we need to get to eleven to pass them or we can't fall to six to be to finish behind them. That's actually the same for the Mavericks just split. We only need six to get ahead of the Magic, I mean, out of the, ahead of the Mavericks, and 11 to finish behind them. So we're, a hundred, we're just as close to the Clippers as we are the Mavericks. And that being said, we are six away from Magic number versus the Mavericks or elimination number versus the Clippers, which means the Jazz are going to be halfway through the bubble will still be mathematically possible two to seven. Which basically, in short, the Jazz eighth game against the Spurs is going to matter. So, so you're telling me that starting tonight through the end of or through the middle of August, we're we're just going to be in a pressure cooker and as fans constantly stressed and worrying. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I said, <laughs> these first two games don't count, but you, you still want to come out with them. Personally, yeah. I want to see a full rotation. I want to see the Jazz. Just- Playing like they're a normal game. And Tony Jones came out yesterday. It sounded like he said that he expects that, which, as I said, is completely opposite of what we saw in the preseason. Oh, my gosh, that was nine months ago, ten months ago. <laughs> um, Hard to believe. Right. But, they, yeah, um, they should come out. They need to give their best effort. And you you really got to win that game against the Pelicans, especially if Zion's not playing. You got to beat the Pelicans. You got to beat the Grizzlies. You got to beat the Spurs twice. And you win those four games, and just let the other four fall where they may, you'll be fine. Well, and you've also mentioned that second game on Saturday, the what is it, August first, against yes. the Thunder, as being an yes. incredibly important game, just because of tiebreakers. Yes. So your magic number plus your elimination number is going to be seventeen, because there's sixteen games. And yeah, plus one, because obviously one of the sides isn't going to hit. With the Thunder, our Magic Number Plus elimination is actually 18 because the tiebreaker is not decided. So the winner of that game basically gets a bonus win in terms of that head to the war. So it's basically worth three games instead of two. Oh, that's Man, I, so, as we talk right about it, I'm that, already worried. It's fun. Um, the West is going to be nuts as always. If you win every game, you'll be fine. If you lose every game, you won't be. Does that sum it up well? I like that. Break it down John Madden style. But yeah, I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see the 8-9 play in. It's a really, really mathematically fascinating thing because one team has to win twice, one team has to win once. And just, yeah. So obviously the 9th team is going to go all out because they're going to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. The 8th is kind of like, like eh, we'll just play it tomorrow. Do they go all out in fear of, oh, crap, are we going to be emotionally beat by them? It's a weird emotional game. I think that eight nine thing is that eight nine matchup is going to be one that's a lot of fun to watch because I think it's one of the things from this restart that is the most likely to be a change we see in the NBA going forward. Maybe not next season, but if it works out this year, there there's been discussion of a play in tournament for like the seven through ten seeds. 
over the, over the last few years. And, and yeah. I think if this 8-9 thing works out, that'd be something we hear even more talk about. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. But let's let's talk about tonight really quick. Jazz back in action, okay. back on the floor, and we get to watch them for the first time since March, March 11th. They're going to be playing the, the Suns, a team who shouldn't be there, but they are. 26 and 39, that's going to be tonight, Thursday at 6 o'clock. Ricky Rubio, who we mentioned earlier, has been diagnosed with the coronavirus, just got into the bubble a couple days ago, and he's a guy who's got a history of soft tissue injuries, hamstring pulls, quad issues. Uh, As jazz fans, I think we remember that all too well. So I don't really expect Rubio to play tonight just because I I think the Suns are going to be careful with him. Why would he play tonight? He's only had two practices. On the other side of the backcourt, Devin Booker, I expect him to go out tonight. I expect him mm-hmm. to play 25, 30 minutes, and he says he's ready to go. And the Suns are kind of like Jazz, kind of like every team in the bubble. With the Suns being six, not only six games back of the eight seed, but also behind other teams. So not only do you have to catch up to the Grizzlies, you have to pass everyone else. They've got to come out and go like five or three, six and two, seven and one. And so they need to really take these games and get 100% warmed up. And I think so. we, we've talked about the Jazz and their, their perimeter defense and how it's just not as good as it has been in seasons past. So I think a, a guy I like to personally, I call him no double Devin. He's going to be a good perimeter test for, for the Jazz because their, their guards just haven't been as tenacious defensively as they need to be. And I think this game is, is going to be a big test for the Jazz because without Bojan Bogdanovic, I personally believe their their playing style completely changes and they revert back to a lot of their defensive tendencies from previous seasons when they were the best defensive team in the league. I, I think they're going to play slower. I think they're going to offensively, they're going to play more one-on-one matchup basketball. And then on the defensive end, they're, they're really going to focus and lock in. And I think they realize that to win and be successful now – they have to be the best defensive team on the floor every night. Yep, I think you're spot on there. And they've been working on that in practice. And I think, as I said, I think you're going to see a mostly relatively normal jazz rotation because they got stuff to figure out because of the boy on injury and not because of the boy on injury. So now's the time to do it. No, I agree. I think you're, you're definitely going to see a lot more time from the starters. One quick thing to mention about tonight's scrimmage is it's only going to be a 40-minute game. So 10 four-minute quarters, and then the next two scrimmages will move to 48. The NBA just kind of wanted to slowly work up to the 48 minutes since there's been so much time off and then such a quick ramp up back to action. So, it was Mc- fun watching yesterday. I'm excited to watch tonight. Yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see the Jazz back on the floor. And with that new Jerry Sloan patch, the twelve twenty three on the shoulder, it's great to see the Jazz doing that for Jerry. I'm not surprised at all that they're honoring him. And uh, they're doing something similar next year. It's a different type of patch, but the twelve twenty three will still be on there. You think it's going to be the John Deere patch? That'll be fun. <laughs> I heard it's just a black stripe that they have right now. I think they have it for David Stern right now. Yeah. They're going to keep that, but they're going to put the numbers 1223 in it. Okay, cool. That'll that'll be fun. I thought I saw that on Twitter somewhere. All right, McCade. Last thing, they've been waiting for it. They've been asking. I've gotten at least a dozen emails as we've been recording. What's your fire take? Back to how good Giannis is. Assuming he wins MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, and I'll even, let's say, I'll assume they win the title. That's obviously a lot bigger of a question. But this could be the single greatest season we have ever seen. Up there with 2012 LeBron, 2016 Curry, um, probably 93 Jordan. And my number one right now is 87 Magic. But like what Giannis is doing right now, he's going to be the third person ever to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. And then he's going to add a title to that. It's it's insane. Like what he's doing right now, it's going super under the radar and super underappreciated. Cause you're going to look back in 20 years and be like, Holy crap. That was probably the best single season we've ever seen. I think you said the right word there. Underappreciated. It's hard to realize how good a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo is in the moment when, when you're watching him play and dominate, it's, it's something unlike anything we've seen before. It really is Shaquille O'Neal's power. And, a guard. Yeah. Um, 
he's probably a top 10 or maybe even top five player of all time. But we don't want to admit that until he's 30 and makes his 10th all-star game and scores his 20,000th point and hits all these random accolades in 10 years. Like, if you want to just talk about pure basketball players in their prime, he's probably top five or 10, and we're just kind of letting it pass without noticing. Like, it's crazy what he's doing. Um, so watch Giannis this fall as we go through the playoffs and appreciate it because it's not always going to be there. Same with LeBron and James Harden and everyone else. We are in a very talented era of the NBA, and we often forget that because of our 90s nostalgia. I think that's that's very well said there, McCade. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Tell them where they can find you on social media. Hit me up at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-A. I'm just putting out a lot of random stuff right now. I don't really know what's going on. I'm just waiting for, I don't know. I'm always throwing random stuff out there. Yeah, follow McCade. He's always got some jazz nuggets out there. He's, he's always talking about the NBA in general, and he's got some pretty exciting fantasy football leagues going on as well. Yeah, I actually uh, wrapping all that up today with my private guys. So I give everyone who played last year a chance to reclaim their spot, obviously. Um, and then I open up to the public probably later today or tomorrow. And I think I have about five or ten spots open in both my main fun little leagues that I mentioned on the last podcast. So awesome! Yeah, yeah I, think keep... I have some spots available. Yeah, keep an eye on that with McCade, and then you can also follow me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. And that'll wrap us up for Home Court Press tomorrow morning. Tune in as we're going to be talking about a jazz basketball game. Wow. Pinch yourself, McCade. It's here. We made it.